1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25 is where we'll start. But before that, Paul is talking to a church that is uh, really in a carnal place. They're heavenly influenced by the philosophy of knowledge. Um, they enjoy that they know a lot. They are intellectuals, and they really, really like that. They also are really promiscuous people in that culture. Um, there's temple prostitutes coming down every single night into the city. Um, there's sexual temptation going on all over the place. People are having sex outside of marriage. Just everything is just berserk in the city. Paul walks into the city and is afraid to go into it because he gets beaten up every time he goes into a place. And the Lord said, don't worry, I got, I've got you. This is actually says, I've got you here. I've got, actually, there's, there's a lot of people here who are, who are mine. And so Paul establishes this church and people are coming to Jesus out of horrible backgrounds. Anyone ever experienced that? Praise the Lord. Thank you for his grace. Amen. Amen. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And so Paul is having to teach this church how to walk in the Lord. How many of you, when you came to Christ, it it's, took a while for certain things to dawn on you? Some, uh, some, it still is on, in some things, right? And so it's a walk. It's a walk. It's a relationship with the Lord. And so what we're seeing is Paul talks to them about sexual immorality. The culture says one, one thing, but Christ says another. The culture says, go ahead and do whatever you want, whatever feels good, just as long as it's worldly love. And Christ says, no, no, that's not what I've designed for you. I've designed for you to be one man, one woman together for life. And that is actually a picture of Christ in the church. And anything outside of that is idolatry. You're broken. And that's pretty, would you say that's wide and broad or is that a narrow path? Seems kind of narrow. It's a narrow teaching. Intended to be that way. And so our lives are to be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. We once were in darkness, and that's how we learned to walk. And now that we're in Christ, we're learning to walk in the light. And as we are engaged with Jesus Christ, he begins to show us areas that do not glorify him. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and have recently discovered an area of your life that does not glorify him? Yeah, that's the light shining in your life. Now, when you were day one in your Christianity, were you ready were you even able to see some of these things? People could talk to you about them and try to get you to conform and all this stuff, and you're doing the right. But eventually the Lord has to work. And so Paul is, is uh, like a father, tending to these children, loving them, disciplining them. His heart is broken over what's going on, and so he's teaching them. So what do you do in all these circumstances? And so in chapter 7, he's basically talking about marriage and being single. Uh, you know, it's good, and he starts with an ideal in chapter 7. It's best to be single. And single people are going, what are you talking about? And married people are going, well, I can see that. I'm just joking. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we don't say that. No, but 
but Paul is, you've got to realize this is a culture where you, if you are going to start to follow Christ, and you're going to emulate Christ, you're going to get beat up. You're going to be persecuted. Things are going to happen to you. And so it's best to be single. You have much more freedom in the Lord. You're able to be busy about the Lord. Time is short. You don't have to worry about you know, a lot of other aspects of life. You can just be single-hearted in your devotion to the Lord. And that's kind of what he's driving at. That's the ideal. But he says, but we realize that God set up marriage for a purpose. And marriage is good. And this is the way it is to be between one man, one woman. You're not to have extramarital affairs. All these things aren't supposed to be going on. Just you two in your bedroom. And so he explains that. He says, I have the right to do a bunch of stuff in verse, uh, well, actually, sorry about, uh, he's talking about uh, in verse 12. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And so because of the immorality within the church, he's saying, marry a believer, stay together. It's better to do that than to burn with lust and to go out and be sinning against the Lord, blowing your witness. And the overarching theme is glorifying God. The overarching thing is glorifying God in your singleness, glorifying God in your marriage. And so if your life is acting a certain way, if you are not able to maintain yourself, Paul's saying, get married to someone who loves the Lord and stay faithful. Now, obviously, he's not talking about all the details. There's so, there so much counsel that needs to go into that because there's a lot of problems in the world. So don't, he's just speaking in generalities to a church, trying to answer big, broad, sweeping questions. He talks about the body. What's the body for? Your body is to please the Lord. So just write that down. My body exists to please the Lord. And with that in mind, he's saying, live your life accordingly in everything you do, including your sexuality. And he speaks to young people, people who are single. He says, flee sexual immorality. Doesn't say play around with it. Doesn't say satisfy it in other ways. He says, flee. Be a Joseph. And he reminds them they were bought with a price. And so in chapter 7, we see a lot of things going on, uh, a lot of ways that Satan is coming into the church. He's tempting people with sexual morality. He talks to the unmarried and the widows and says it's good for them to be married, but if you can't control it, marry someone in the faith. And then he talks to people who are, um, uh, who are married to non-believers, I mean, how many people have come to the Lord and their spouse does not come to the Lord? Well, what do you do? He says, stay with them. Stay with them if they, will, if they will have you. But if they decide, no, I don't want to hang out with you anymore, it's okay, to get, it's okay to be released from that marriage. Married people in the Lord, not so. He says, don't do that. Divorce, you're supposed to be together forever. But if it happens, and he lays down some rules. So read over these chapters. I want you to read. He's answering some practical questions that people who came to the Lord had when they're trying to figure out, what do I do with my marriage? What do I do? I'm single. I'm a slave. All these things. And, and Paul's point is, glorify God where you are. Glorify God where you are. And so um, let's skip ahead. And he's gonna, now he's talking about virgins. He was talking about uh, people being slaves. If you were a slave, be content. Uh, if you were in married, stay married. If you were single, stay single. He's just saying, be content in the Lord. Let God use you where you are. He goes, now about virgins, which means probably if you were not married, you were a virgin. Did you, can you believe that? That's, so he's talking to virgins, people who are unmarried. 
I have no command from the Lord, but I, I give a judgment as one who the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he's speaking to single people. He says, because of this present crisis, verse 26, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Are you engaged to a woman? Are you betrothed to a woman? Uh, quite often marriages would be arranged. That's pretty much what it was, arranged marriages. And so parents would get together and decide who you would marry. If you're in that agreement, if you're in that process, what does he say? Yeah. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. Wow, that's a big one. Circle that one. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Marriage is not a sin. So there was obviously a teaching in this church that was like, hey, getting married is wrong. What? It's like, you've not sinned. It's ideal to be free in the Lord and to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. But if you, you have a wife, that's great. And so he goes on. But those who will marry, and this is his whole point, will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And all the married people said, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Not saying that we don't love, I'm staying married, I don't get, you know. Married people experience many trials, much pain, much tribulation. That word for, for uh, troubles is the same word for like the great tribulation. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Philipsis, yeah. Paul's like, what word could I use to explain this, you know. <laughs> I want to spare you this. What I mean, and now he has to clarify, because I'm sure someone was in the room going, what are you talking about, Paul? He goes, and he couldn't do backspace on his scroll there. <laughs> he goes, what I, what, I want, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. And now he gives a teaching. He says, from now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Guys, you need to keep reading. <laughs> Those who mourn as if they, guys are like, I'm a, that's my life first. Yeah. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were not, it were not theirs to keep. So what's he getting at? What's he getting at? He's saying, if you're married, act like you're not. If you're sorrowing, act like it's not. Don't put yeah, don't put anything before him. Totally, that's part of it. And and, and what kind of perspective is he throwing? Don't be obsessed with the present. What is he asking you to do? Eternal perspective. <clears throat> Heavenly minded. We are sojourners. This is not. This marriage is not going to go on into eternity. Did you know that? Now, I will know her, but it's, it's temporal. My sorrow is temporal. My happiness is tempor temporary, right? The things that I own are temporary. What's he getting at? This is the heart of it. <clears throat> Verse 31, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. Why? For this world in its present form is passing away. It's all going away. So what are we investing in? And this is the heart of marriage 
And this is the, the heart of what Paul's talking about. There is a, and well, I'll just let him explain it. I would like you to be free from concern, verse 32. And this is it. This is the troubles. I'd like you to be free from concern. And everybody's heartbeat is going to go, yes, all your married people are going to identify with this. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Hopefully that, it just, if you're unmarried and you're a man, circle that. That's what you're to be about. The Lord's affairs. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. I remember as a single guy, just every time the church door was open, I was there when I wasn't working. And I was helping out and just going on mission trips around the world and just whatever I could do to, to please the Lord and to seek him, to find him, and, and, and just to go after him. You know what I mean? You're free to do that as a single person. You're free to just go risk your life and put it in, in the middle of a, the third world jungle. You're free to go, you know, stay up till three in the morning and do whatever, you know I mean? There's just, there's freedom there to serve the Lord in ways that you can't necessarily when you're married. It's fact. But, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And that's exactly what happens when you're married. You have, you're not living for just yourself now. You are living with a beautiful bride, a husband, and you're wanting to show the love of Christ to them and to love them and take care of them and all that stuff, but you're you're more constrained in your ability to be free to do whatever you want for the Lord, let's say, in many respects. You see how that works out? What's Paul's mindset in all of this? Is it happiness? Is it homes? Is it houses? Is it cars? Is it business? It's kingdom. It's kingdom. It's the gospel. It's the mission in every single thing. That is exactly what he's talking about. The overarching theme, what is best? The best is to be absolutely 100% devoted to the Lord and go out there and kick down the doors of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ as a single person. Amen? That is great. You're free. And don't worry, Mary, I'm going I'm to tie this all together, okay? This is, this is not bashing marriage. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, verse 34, and his interests are divided. His interests are divided. They're divided between the world, his wife, and the Lord. Anybody experience that tension? It's a constant balance. At least the spiritual man is struggling with these things. And he talks about an unmarried woman. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Circle that, ladies, if you're single. That's what you're to be concerned about. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And is that not true, ladies? There are demands. There are things that are happening, taking care of homes and, 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 and kids and all the things that God has uh, for, for a wife and the Lord. 
Uh, that's not limited, obviously. Going out there and slaying dragons in the workplace. Many of you ladies working. Amen? There's a lot going on there. But notice, it's the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, not that you can't get married, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And that is the key. If you're single, your heart should be for the Lord. When you're married, the chances are that one of you is not going to be interested in the Lord. And he's saying you're going to have a divided heart. You're not going to be able to follow the Lord the way you want. And this is the key to an awesome marriage, to be a Priscilla and Aquila. Both be single-minded in your heart towards the Lord. You both are devoting your heart to the Lord above your marriage. Anybody else? Lord, what do you have for my wife? What do you have for our lives? Who are we to be in this culture? What are we supposed to do with our time, our money, our resources, all these things for your kingdom? Our marriage is about the gospel. Our marriage is about the kingdom. Our kids are about the kingdom. My car is about the kingdom. Every move I make, everything I do is about the kingdom. That unified, undivided heart as husband and wife, right? Yes, you've got to pay the bills. Yes, you've got to go to work. Yes, you've got to do all these things. But Paul is he's, he's saying, if you have the ability to, in this day and age, to bypass that, and if the Lord's given you the gift to be single, then go for it. Be wholehearted. If you don't have that gift to be single, if you're, up, if you're pyroing out, you're burning with lust, find someone in the Lord, get married. Amen? And so, but this is what he's, this is what he is, he's, he's getting at here. I want you to be, I want you to not have the burden. I want you to be able to just serve the Lord in the fullness of your heart and to go after him and to go on mission trips and do all those things if you can. Go, I mean, just think of, of what you could do if, if that were possible. If, if you were just unrestrained in marriage, people who are married, I don't want you to go there, but just think about it. The things that you'd be able to do for the Lord that you can't. The people you'd be able to minister to. Well, that same heart needs to be translated to our young people. Put the Lord first. And if he brings a husband and a wife, how awesome, how cool. Amen? Amen. But don't make it an idol in your life. Put him first. Because guess what? When you get married, it's the same thing. You live for the Lord. You live for him with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul together. And that is why it is so important when you are finding a husband, when you are finding a wife, that you have someone who is one in the Lord with you. Same mind, same mentality. My prayer for Christine, you know, before I met her, I said, Lord, bring me someone who loves you more than I do. And that was a very prideful thing because I thought I loved him a lot. I found out, out since that I really don't and it wasn't very high of a bar. But when I was young, I was devoted. I was single. I was wholeheartedly after him. And then God brought me a wife who was the same way. Different personality, but same heart. And our heart has been for ministry. It's been for people in different giftings in different ways. And I see that in so many of you when you're not united as husband and wife and the giftings you have and all the things and how the Lord uses you in your unique way. But your hearts are one in the Lord and you're with each other. And there isn't this division about, there isn't a question about whether you're going to serve the Lord or not serve the Lord. There isn't a question about whether you put them first or you don't. It's, you're, you're wholly devoted. So, Paul.
Paul's just desiring that the kingdom be put first in the hearts of these people, these beautiful people. And if any is worried, now he's going to move on to another thing. If any is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and if he feels he ought to marry, he should do what he wants. Uh, he's not sinning. They should get married. Uh, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, you know, you're not being coerced, but has no, but has control over his own will. Uh, you're free to make a decision whether you want to get married or not. And who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin. This man does the right thing, also does the right thing. So then he who marries does right, but he who does not marry does even better. So guess what there is in the kingdom? There's things that we can choose to do that are good, that are great, that are blessed by the Lord. But then there are also things that we can do that are great. There are choices we can make with our time, with our resources, with everything we have that are good. And they're good things. Amen? But then there are things that we can do that are great. I would encourage you to seek the Lord about the, those priorities in your life, to ask Him. Amen? Amen? This even goes down to getting married. Verse 30, 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. You can underline that one. Same with the guy. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry another, uh, anyone she wishes, but he must belong in the Lord. So if any of you uh, widows there, so widowers, you had a believing husband or not believing husband. When they die, you're free. But if you're going to get remarried, you must marry someone in the Lord, Paul's saying. You're not to be unequally yoked. All right? So he's just laying out some things there. Verse 40. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. And uh, Paul is speaking probably from experience. Verse 8. I'm in chapter 8. Now about food sacrifice to idols, something we, we struggle with every day here in Walla Walla. <coughs> Temple meat. <laughs> so thank the Lord, it's only 13 verses here. But now about food sacrifice to idols. They lived in a city where if you wanted meat in a culture, you usually bought it at the, temp, at the marketplace, and it was usually already offered to idols. What happened is people would bring all their sacrifices up to the temple. They would slaughter the animal. They divided it into thirds. Basically, a third would go to the priest. A third would be offered to the idol, and the third would be sold in the marketplace. And if the priest didn't want his food, he would also take it and he would take it and sell the rest back to the marketplace at a cheaper price. And so people were buying meat in the commonplace that was offered to idols one way or the other. And so people are going, what do I do? I just came out of idolatry. Where do I get a hamburger now? Right? Because they've got to have their food, right? They're, they're hungry. And so w- what do we do? And, he, and Paul says this thing. He says, we all, we all know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And so as he approaches the subject of what should we do, an ethics situation... He's bringing up the, the uh, knowledge and love, those two things. How do you make decisions based on knowledge or love? And in, he's saying knowledge is going to puff you up. It's going to make you a bubble, but love is, love is going to build up. And so whenever you make these decisions, 
because they're going to have this knowledge, they're going to have this theological knowledge that they're free in Christ to do whatever they want. Great freedom, theological knowledge, but guess what? Is it, is it love? And that's what he's going to get into. And so uh, those who think they know something uh, do not yet know as they, as, as they ought to know. In other words, you don't have the full picture if you think you know everything, because again, he's talking to people who are prideful. But whoever loves God is known by him. And all, basically, real knowledge comes by knowing the Lord, and that's love. Verse 4, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all. What is an idol? It's nothing at all. When, I don't know, how many of you have been to the third world and seen idols in places? Just me. Okay, because there's three people. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's intense. I mean, there are places you walk in and it is like a Walmart of idols. It's everywhere. And there's incense being burned and all that kind of stuff, but it was common in their, their world to uh, have idols for different things in their lives. If they had a field, they put it at the head of the field, and they would pray to it, and they'd have a different idol for different things, different gods for different things, god of war, and you can see that in Greek culture and also in, in other pagan cultures. And, but he says, an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that we, we know this, and that there's no god but one god. Verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, whatever they call gods, these, these little idols, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and he's going to explain a little bit what this means. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Now, real quickly. The idea of gods. They believe there's gods and lords. And as you're in the ancient world, you would say, I worship these gods. And then there was this idea in the Roman culture of the idea of Lord. And what would happen is Christians, we, we all understand the concept of God as a deity, but what happened is in uh, Roman culture, you would have Caesar. And Caesar would say to everyone within the the uh, uh, the place uh, within their empire, call me Lord. Basically, he would ask, demand everybody that he would be called Lord. What did that mean? It meant that people had a variety of idols, and you had one idol for this, one idol for that, one idol for this. But Lord would be the one over the idols. He'd be the chief. And so, what happened is Christians would be brought to the arena or wherever they were, and they say, "Hey." demand to say that Caesar is Lord. And they couldn't do it. And they would say no. And so they'd be thrown to the lions because Jesus is Lord. Now notice, he's not saying that the Father is God and Jesus is not God. He's hitting two different cultures here. He's saying, you know what God is, you know what Lord is. They are the same. And notice what he says after each one. He equates them. He makes them equal. He says, uh, verse 6, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we all uh, from whom we live and there's but one lord Jesus Christ same thing through whom all things came through all, all things we live same person same thing but not everyone possesses this knowledge that there's just one god some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god they 
came out of it, but they still think that that's actually another God, a competing God, and that God is one of those gods. And these are believers having to grow in their faith and their knowledge that he's just, there's only one God. They came to the Lord and chose the Lord as God, but they don't realize that, that there are no other gods yet. And so when they go into that market, they're looking at that food, they're looking at that idol, they're, they're associating that sacrifice with what's going on there, with, with, that, uh, with that deity, false deity. And so some people are thinking that. When they eat their food, thinking of it as having been sacrificed to God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. The food is defiled. I can't eat this. And Paul goes, but food does not bring us near to God. Underline that. Food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse or no, you know, we're no worse if we eat it or if we don't, right? So they've got this knowledge. You have this awesome knowledge about freedom in Christ. And this is where the application comes in, everybody, okay? I know this is kind of like we're talking about things that happened a long time ago. But be careful. How many of you have enjoyed your liberties in Christ Jesus? things that you can do. Freedom. But be careful, however, that the exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block for the weak. Our freedom ends when someone else's stumbling begins because it's not based upon your knowledge. It's not based upon what you have the right to do. It's based upon what is best for the other person. And we have lost that in our country. And we have lost that to a great degree within our Christian culture, I would say. As we've moved further and further away from the Lord, the values that permeated the culture are being replaced with darkness. And it is all about individuality. It is all about selfishness. It's all about my individual right. It's not about what's best for everybody else. Do you see that permeating our culture? And we worship it now all the way from Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner to whatever you want to do. It's idolatry. It's, it comes from a selfish heart. As Gary was saying, it comes from an unthankful heart. <laughs> it's darkness. So just because you have the right for something doesn't mean you should do it. Think about this in your life. Think about the, the rights and the freedoms you have. When your conscience starts to, you know, you start to get a little, hey, pick up on that. Pick up on that and start to go, Lord, am I doing something that's going to stumble someone else? Am I going to do something that's going to cause someone else who's looking at me to have their hearts broken, be messed up, be destroyed? Just because I have this walk with the Lord that's been going on for a long time and I have all this knowledge doesn't mean that I'm free to not love and put other people first. Be careful that you don't exercise your rights. Uh, verse 9, uh, to be a stumbling block for the weak. For someone with a weaker conscience sees you. They see you in the temple McDonald's. <laughs> and you've got a double something or other. You who are spiritual. With all your knowledge, you know. You're sitting there in your freedom going, this is awesome. 
I am so free, and they're just going to have to deal with it because they just don't know the freedom they have in Christ. And they'll come along eventually, and you see what I'm saying? But your flesh wants to go, I want the burger. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Your knowledge says, I've got theology going on that says I can do this. But what does the love of Christ say? Have a a salad. (laughs) The application for today. That's the name of my message. Have a salad. Thank you. What happens? If someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat whatever sacrifice to idols, to to gods, to them? We know it's a piece of wood or some gold, but they don't. They're thinking you're eating... To an, with another God in mind, and, and they're going, okay, well, I guess that's okay. It's sin to them. Do you see? It's sin. It violates their conscience. Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Ouch. Jesus takes it personally when we damage each other's faith, when we take liberties and place it above love. Therefore, if what I eat, if what I drink, if what I watch, if what I do, if where I go, fill in the blank, please, causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never, fill in the blank, eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Love over liberty. Love over liberty. How many of you, as we're talking about these things, things are popping into your mind in scenarios? Anyone? I've got a couple going on. Don't dismiss that. Don't let the enemy come in and take that away. You go take that before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to sin against this person, cause them to stumble and actually be sinning against you. He takes his children really seriously. You know that when you start messing with them? He's very serious about that, especially the weakest of the weak. And notice Paul is not talking about them as someone who's (laughs) the weak of the weak. Seeing the babes in Christ, the people who just haven't had as much time with the Lord or as much experience as you and all that stuff. Let love be the thing that grows in your heart. And we're going to end, but Paul goes on and he says, am I not free? And he's talking about an apostle. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of the work in the Lord? Even though I may not be apostle to others, surely I am to you for... You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord, and this is my defense to those who sit in judgment me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? In other words, I can go ahead and be a, I'm an apostle. I'm supposed to get paid for what I do. That's my right, Paul's saying. Don't we have rights to take a believing wife along with us, Pope? Don't we have a right to, you know, I'm just saying. Don't we have a right to do this, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas, right? So Peter and the Lord's brothers, 
They were apostles, and guess what? They had wives, and they had families. Didn't they have a right to bring them along with them and be supported by the churches they were ministering to? Or is it only I and Barnabas? Interesting, Barnabas is back in the scene. Either that or he's referring to, he's just the only other single apostle out there. Remember they had a rift? Who was, you know, who, who lacked the right uh, not to work for a living. So he's talking about all the rights he has. Who, ser- who serves as a soldier? And he, he uses the example of three different things here. A soldier. If you're a soldier, who serves at their own expense? Who puts on their own cavalry, their own gun, their own tanks, their own, who does that? They don't get paid. Not very many people, unless you're conscripted, right? But who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely as on human authority? Doesn't the law, now he's quoting to the law, talking about his rights, right? We're talking about rights. You want to talk about rights? How many of you like to talk about your rights? My right. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Do you think he's talking about the ox? It's not talking, is he talking about the ox? Is that what God's really concerned about? Surely he says it for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Talking about the apostles like oxes. Don't muzzle them, feed them. Give them provision. Verse 11. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too little if we reap a material harvest among you? If, others, if this is ever like a tithing message, like Paul's like messing with them, huh? If we ever have sown spiritual seed, is it too much to reap a material harvest from you? If others have had this right and support from you, obviously they were supporting other apostles, shouldn't we have it all the more? And here's Paul's point. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder, what is it? The gospel. What was Paul single-minded about in everything? The gospel. What are you single-minded about in your heart, your marriage, your life, your singleness, your whatever state you're in? What, are you, what, what is the overarching thing of your life? You could sum it up in one word. You know? That's a real... Amazing exercise. One word of your life. What is it about? And be honest. Have someone else ask you. Paul's like, we're saved for the king and for his life. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple, they get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive a living from the gospel. That's a commandment from the Lord he's talking about. But I have not used any of these rights, what is good and what is best. Do you see? What is good and what is best. Am I not writing this in, am, am, I, am I not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me? For I would rather die than allow for anyone to deprive me of this boast. I'm not doing a fundraising letter, Paul says. <laughs> That's not what chapter eight, nine is about. It's not about getting money from you. This is the boast I have, the joy that I have is that I denied my rights, that it's purely about the gospel. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach it voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntary, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. 
What then is my reward? Just this, then preaching the gospel that I may offer it free of charge and not so make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew so he, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself not under the law. He followed their practices. He did their things. He met on their days. He shaved his head, whatever he did. Why? Not that he was doing it in heart. He was doing it so. Why? So the, as to win those under the law. What is his life about? Winning, Winning people for Jesus. Hold up, Rusty. <laughs> Color commentary. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. To the Gentiles, though I am not free from God's law, you know, I'm not lawless. I didn't go out and start partying and drinking so that I could win them. No, but I, I hung out with them. I became with them. I, I was in their places where they were living and, and having life with them. Why? So as to win those not having law, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might save some. Obviously, it's Christ saving it, but that was his life. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What is your life about? Living for God. Is your life about the gospel? Yes. Is it? How is it, how is it playing out? Do you value other things above reaching people for Jesus Christ? This is the war that Paul is talking about. Is Jesus, the way he lived, the way he walked, the way he moved, the way that he operated with people, is that happening in you because his spirit is within you? It's convicting, isn't it? That's saying that I need to reprioritize my whole life around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means everything is on the table. Everything I do, everything I listen to, everywhere I go, everybody I inter- everywhere I interact with. This is not a legal thing saying you can or cannot do that, but it is a, is a heart thing where we say, Lord, you are the king of my life today. Where do I go? What do I do? As I go on this, in this business meeting, as I go to school, as I raise my kids, as wherever the Lord has placed you, Amen is the kingdom first. When you cash that paycheck, is the kingdom first. When we open our phone or when we talk to someone or when we choose things. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed seeing you guys live for the gospel. And I see individuals within this church who they, they love the Lord, they love their families, and their heartbeat shows it. And the way that they arrange their time when most people don't have time is kingdom-oriented, whether it's the workplace, whether it's, you know, wherever you, you, know, you guys go. Just about Jesus. He's ruling lives. He's leading people by the Spirit vacations aren't decided based upon I just need but they're based upon relationships and based upon what is best for the kingdom and and my family that doesn't mean you take a missionary trip to a monastery that's not what I'm talking about 
but I've just seen people in here give silently and behind the scenes kingdom life. You know, like the Jesus well is, is an amazing example of what God has done in and through you. We asked for one Jesus well and we got two. What is with that? That's people saying, you know what, I might not do Starbucks this week, but I'm going to put the kingdom first. Amen. Being led by the Spirit. We see that time and time again when people are hurting in the church. Silently, I'll hear about it somehow. Someone's not able to do something, but someone comes along beside them and just helps them out. Just saying, you know what, my day is just not going to be my day today. It's going to be your day. I'm going to go help this guy move. I'm going to go help this person with their, you know, their lawn. They can't take care of it or whatever it might be. So I don't want you to think that, you know, you have to, you know, be an Apostle Paul. We're not Apostle Pauls. But I, I, I strongly would encourage you to take your checkbook and your calendar and your wife and your kids or whatever it is and, and bow in prayer and say, Lord, we offer, it's all yours. What do you want? What's our, what's our life looking like? What's our time looking like? Because time is short. It's all fading. It's not going to make a difference, all these pursuits. But what's going to last is souls and fruit that pleases Jesus lead us and have a bold adventure with Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm yours. You have the right to do whatever you want, but seek Lord the Lord for what His Spirit is saying is the best. That's my challenge. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take our hearts, our families, our jobs, our lives, our hands, our feet, our bodies that are hurting sometimes, our disabilities. Take it all and use it for your glory. Lord, remove hearts of stone today, hearts that say, no, my kingdom above yours my desire above yours, my satisfaction above yours. Take that heart and remove it from this fellowship, Lord, wherever it may be in my heart to you and replace it with the heart of Christ that beats to please the Father. And Lord, may all the liberties and the freedom that we have in you be put in that perspective as we go out. And Lord, I just have a feeling that Once we let go, we'll experience more freedom than we've ever experienced before. We love you, Lord. Have your hand upon our church. Guide us this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.